Hello everyone, I would like to welcome everyone to the Roxborough Roundtable. My name is Elena and I'm the student coordinator for the tables. Today our topic is Latino identity in the Trump era, hosted by Ali and members of the Latin America Student Association. Hi, my name is Ali Concepcion. I am a fourth year occupational therapy student here from Raleigh, New Jersey. Hi, I'm Alejandra and I'm a sophomore in the Law Society major. Hi, hello, my name is Michelle Navarrete Lopez. I am a freshman and my major is pre -med. I'm Adrian, a first-year student, uh, industrial design major. Hi, I'm Rosario Teneo. I'm a second-year international business major, and I'm from Houston, Texas. I'm Arturo Espindola. I'm Arturo Espindola. I'm a third, fourth-year uh, engineer major from New York City. Uh, I'm Carmen Cordero. I'm a second-year graphic designer. Uh, so our topic here today is Latino identity in the Trump era, and we're going to begin with how has your view on politics changed since the Trump campaign began? Um, so, I was never really into politics before Trump. I, to be completely honest, I never really was. But my freshman year, he made his comments about Mexican drugs and they're all criminals or whatever. But he didn't say they're all. But he did say there are some good ones. You see, yeah, there are some good ones. Um, but after that, I um, initially I was very angry and I spoke out of emotion and I got into really bad arguments with my friends and who, you know, I'm still friends with because politics don't change that. But um, I was I, I would just act out of emotion and then I started realizing that arguments weren't valid because just because I mean I had nothing to back it up I had no I had no statistics I had no whatever so I educated myself to some extent and now I formulate my own um, my own beliefs so I don't let the media tell me what what to believe how to feel just because you know I see something doesn't mean that's what I that represents Mexican culture because I'm Mexican American doesn't necessarily mean to represent my perspective. For example, with the whole um, ICE and the incarceration of, of many uh, Mexican uh, families and the separation and all that, who I don't necessarily know what the numbers were before, and I don't necessarily know what the numbers are now. But I do know that by just putting that out in the media, it creates, at least for me and my family, my family is, is scared because we were once undocumented. My family was once undocumented, and that, and just recently they got their documents. They're not citizens, but they have um, a visa, and they're allowed to stay here, and you know, they're quote unquote what people call legal, um, which I don't believe is the right term. I believe the correct terms are documented and undocumented. Uh, but that, that's, that's how I feel. That's, I, I know that it creates tension within the Mexican community. And that, that goes for a lot of Hispanics as well. It's not just Mexican culture that is targeted. Um, I'm Dominican, and so I worked at a grocery store back home, and uh, the people that shopped there were predominantly white. So the next day after um, Trump was uh, appointed, um, I felt fear just being there, because. The rhetoric he used, I found similar to the rhetoric that Nixon used with the war on drugs. 
It's like the war on illegal immigrants. But it's painting this picture of Hispanics, which I personally believe is out of fear because statistically by 2045, Hispanics will, it's expected that they will be the biggest population in America. So it's out of fear of being oppressed possibly, how they oppress other minorities. So I think that's where that comes from. So my view on politics is I was into politics, but I wasn't as into politics as I am now because like the war specifically targeting me. For, uh, for well, my name is Michelle. Um, but um, for me, I was really into politics. I've always loved history, even though I'm going to pre-med, but like I've always loved history and everything. And I was kind of disappointed um, with politics. I felt like my people let me down. I, and because many of the people I grew up with, you know, you see them and they seem like they treat you well and stuff, but I felt like with Trump's campaign, like campaign and everything, people started coming out. Like, you know, showing what they truly believed in. Which is a good thing, I'm not gonna lie. I'd rather know who they are now. But it's also something with fear. Because, you know, sometimes you have family members that are undocumented, really close to you. And maybe not yourself you, you fear, but you fear for them. You know, you care about them. You, you love them. And then there's times that now I feel like when I meet someone, I have to be like, yes, I am Mexican, but I'm a citizen. And before, I, I used to not have to tell people that. Because I feel if I don't tell them, they're going to take it like, okay, like I kind of can overstep or like she's not educated or she doesn't know her rights. You know, so now I have to be clear with people and be like, hey, I am I am Mexican-American, first generation, but I am a citizen. And then I also have to inform people about not just the Mexican culture, but the Latino culture, like in general, you know, Latinos. And how, yes, my, like, my father can be undocumented, but he does pay taxes. He, you know, like, you say, no, they don't pay taxes and all this, that. like, yes, my father pays taxes. He follows everything that he's supposed to, you know? So like certain things, I feel like you just have to clarify now because it's so much tension and so much controversy. So. Um, I feel like before I also was not into politics because I felt like I didn't know enough to be involved in that. And ever since the Trump campaign began, like it just made me change my whole view on that because now I feel like it's my responsibility to have something to do with politics because the way it's going right now, it's just, you know, we're not being represented the way that we should be. So now it's like, I feel like I have to. It's a big reason why I changed my major. Um, so I just feel like, you know, now is the time for us to be heard and for us to, you know, represent our culture. Because I'm not only Latino, I'm American. So it's also my country. Um, how do you feel politics, ethics, and morality have during this time? Um, um, for me, it was, it's hard because you, you want to represent your culture so well and you, you 
want to do these things, but you know, you're getting that constant backlash. And it's not even straight to your face. It's the things you see on TV, the things that people say, the wording, and like you said, your rhetoric and your how you um, present yourself, you know, and seeing, you know, uh, certain things on media, on the news, the things that Trump has said, we all know ethically and morally he has crossed many boundaries um, in terms of saying things against Hispanics about um, women, I can go on, but, um, you know, how do you take your feelings away when it comes to politics and, you know, how this country is run and the things that really are going to determine all of our futures? Um, I think that politics has changed because our values differ from other people's values. And, and we see, if someone's a Trump supporter, we see them as, you know, um, I don't want to say racist, but, you know, we see them as supporting that and we're how, how, but their values and their morals just might be different from how we feel. So you kind of have to take a step back when you, when you do talk about politics and things with people because, you know, it is easy to get emotional about it. It's easy to say what you're doing is not moral, it's not ethical, but you want to speak your mind. So it's kind of hard now because you have to watch what you say more and watch your emotions or else you could just come off as an angry Latina and that's not going to solve any problems. So. Yeah, going off of that, um, like I mentioned, my freshman year, I got into a lot of arguments with uh, some friends of mine who were Trump supporters and who I didn't want to, I don't want to say supported Trump for the wrong reasons, but the reasons that they chose was, yeah, this is like a weird math going on in the head, but Trump brought it out of them. <clears throat> kind of like, like uh, Michelle said, their real, their beliefs started showing a lot more, which is fine. But in the moment, in my freshman year, I was very upset. I didn't want to talk to them. I didn't want to do anything with them. I was I, how could somebody support somebody so, you know, whatever time but now I think with everything that has happened a positive is that I can argue with somebody about politics or whatever but at the end of like after that discussion we walk away we go get lunch and we're friends I think that's that's something that is very rare to find now because you have to take into account that also what other people believe comes out from how they're raised and the things they do. So the things we've lived through, they haven't. So it's hard for them to put themselves in our shoes because they haven't lived those lives. So there's also the need to be there, the need for there to be that mutual respect that sometimes isn't there because especially how media portrays it, portrays everything, that you have a one-sided belief that doesn't have substance and then a fear out of what is presented to them that they don't know about. I think it's interesting that you bring that up because I am half Puerto Rican and half Italian, and um, so I do have and I do have family members that are Trump supporters that are open about it. They post about it on Facebook, and so I kind of went through my own dilemma of, you know, these are my cousins, my aunts and uncles. I've stayed at their house, and it's, you know, how do you separate your political beliefs and beliefs about your value and who 
beliefs about not being belittled or degraded with, you know, your family and your friends and the people that, you know, you want to surround yourself with, you know, you're going to, throughout your life, you're going to be surrounded with people who don't have similar beliefs or who don't have the same values. You know, that's why we do have a Republican and Democratic Party. Um, and I think that our world, our world has changed a lot more that, like I said, emotions become such a big part of that. And if you don't agree with someone, it you come off as, you know, um, racist, sexist, this, that, the other thing, because those are values that we see represented in Trump. Um, and we, I think we need to do a better job, too, of giving people the benefit of the doubt and understanding that their values might not have anything to do with race or with anything that might be hurting us, but like you said, they have just not been in our shoes, so they just don't understand. You're so much nicer than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said, what's your name again? Rosario. Yeah, God, you're so much nicer than I am. Because uh, you give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, and I think, I'm more in line with your name, Michelle. Mm -hmm. I think that people have been closeted for a long time and staying quiet and now have given a get out of you know, disgusting past, and now they can actually be as disgusting as they want because they think that it's actually acceptable. Um, when he refers to Latinos as, instead of having children as breeding, I mean, that alone was disgusting. Um, my animals. animals, murderers, Aliens. rapists. I mean, you go on the long list of it, and it's not like, you know, there's a difference in policy here. You know, people can disagree on all kinds of different you can agree and disagree on immigration policies. It's very complicated. I understand that. But when you demonize a large group of people, that's there is no excuse for that. There is no nice guy to that. There is no positive response to that. And I, I can't possibly see, I try to make people understand me a little bit more because um, my daughter-in-law is Latina. She's from Peru. And you know, so I have a small personal stake as opposed to your huge personal stake in this. And I get so offended when I hear him talking, because every time he talks, he's talking about my daughter-in-law, who's an engineer, an extremely nice person, doing very well, but he demonizes her, so I can't imagine how you're being very nice. I'm not just saying I can't be that nice. I, I'd be really bitter and angry, and I'm only a little bit. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from, but I also... I've met some nice people, so usually when you talk about Trump supporters, everyone comes in just white people, but it's more than just white people. So I've also met some nice white people. So when I say give the benefit of the doubt, it's that not everyone's the same, but when somebody, if like I come off as bitter and I come off as mean, that's all they're going to see. I'm not going to get what we deserve as Hispanics. We're not going to get anything across in that way. So it's not me being, I guess, nice. It's me coming from a place where they would understand. Like for, if I can jump on something, if I can say two things. One, I feel no one was born racist. Um, think about it, when you see two kids, they don't look at the color, they just, when you just see two kids, if you see a Hispanic, a white, an Indian, whatever, even yesterday, I was at CHOP, because I'm going to get surgery. And I saw a little white boy and a little Indian boy. And they were interacting like nothing else. 
And then I look at the adults and I could see how like the mom and like the white mom and, and the Indian mom, they were kind of like, like, you know, like, oh, like they were oh, a little, oh. but when you see the kids, yeah, like they were like, oh, okay. But when you see the little, like, yeah, the mom was like, come over here. But like when you see the kids, they weren't, they were taught that, you know, they were taught that. And I don't blame, sometimes I don't blame the child. I blame sometimes the parents, how, how they, how they educate. And another thing, sometimes Donald Trump supporters are not only Caucasian, because that's what we like. That's the first thing. Because also something that I found out is that some Hispanics voted. It comes with the know? ideology of also some Hispanics being Republican mm -hmm. because they don't want to be portrayed as those illegal immigrants. So that's why I say it's like similar to the war on drugs that Nixon brought up because of how he even made black people think that they were criminals even when they weren't. So it's the same that he's doing now as creating a war on illegal immigrants and creating that image that all Hispanics are illegal immigrants. He's dividing the Hispanic community yeah. he's against itself. Exactly. And then everyone else in America. I mean, I can't say that he's dividing it because it has always been divided. Okay? Not gonna lie. My mom came here in the 19-something, I don't remember. But, like, she said that she... I'm from Kennedy Square, Pennsylvania. It's mushrooms. A lot of immigrants, a lot of Hispanics work there. My mom, she has always to, like told me how before she never, she never thought like she had the mindset, okay, I'm gonna have like a daughter or son, but I would never want them to have like not not have an education, but like, she would never like really think, oh, they're gonna go to college, oh, this and that. But after when she started like when she came here to the United States, worked. She would realize, no, my children are gonna get educated, and she said how sometimes even, even them as Hispanics, they would like go at each other, you know, like fight between them instead of like supporting one another, instead of like being like, okay, like let's come together, let's you know, like create a union or something, you know, and no, like they divide each other, and sometimes. Even still to this day, like, the envy of people, you know, of us Latinos, like, they want to be better than the other ones. Or they even want to, like, trash them, you know? And it's like that everywhere. It's not just Latinos. It's Caucasians. It's everything. It's competition, you know? In the United States, everyone wants to move up a ladder. And sometimes you want to throw and you throw your ethics and your morals and everything because you want to move a ladder. So many Trump supporters, maybe they don't believe that, okay, we are this or that, but they want to move the ladder with money. Money has power. It, the economy. Think about it. Who doesn't love money? We all love money. So some of them supported it because of the tax cut that he was doing. You know? So we also have to see all sides. Yeah. I was going to add mm -hmm. to that because I have a family member who voted for Trump, but she's such a loving person and She's like, I don't care about the racial issues. Is that, that for myself? It's a huge benefit in terms of like the tax cut and whatever because she owns a company. So I was like, okay, I understand that. But at the same time, president isn't just someone who's in charge of the economy. It's also someone who you know creates policy. Um, it's in charge of all, practically everyone who who makes uh, choices for the country. So I was like, I understand that because it's you know personal benefit. And again, that's what you were pointing out. Like, 
it's just a survival kind of. I didn't realize. Oh, my name is Jorge. I came in late. <laughs> I didn't realize how big of an effect one person can have on a country. And I think that was kind of the most shocking thing because every time that there was some type of scandal or situation related to Trump, that is all everybody could talk about. And just talking about it um, between us, other people, like, People are automatically forming ideas in their head based off of what he said. Whether they're supporting him, whether they're, you know, obviously against him or offended by what he's saying, like, people are going to form their biases and stuff in their head because that's the power that rhetoric has. And that's, that one person can influence millions and millions of people and businesses and institutions. It's just insane to think about. Um, I think it's also a lot of people don't know like even in Latin American countries, there's a lot of racism and colorism. So even coming here, that's even more brought up. So it's things that are precedented by the beginnings of like the new world. So it's still things that are embedded in our culture that he may come out, that it's not just on white people, it's on everyone as a whole. And that kind of goes perfectly into the next question. Uh, how has racism in the United States influenced colorism in Latin American communities? Do you feel this is a bigger issue within our community or the country as a whole? Um, I like to think something just for this question. I like I feel like we can all do this, but like multiple times, like I've been insulted by like being called like a Mexican, right? Like, oh, shut up, like you Mexican. You know what I'm talking about? So it's like I personally don't feel insulted by that because you know those are my brothers, those are my sisters. You know what I mean? But like just that whole colorism thing, like people think that we would be insulted by that because it's like, you know, things can be a little darker, right? And just like, you know, I'm Colombian, there's a lot of darker Colombians in Colombia, you know what I mean? So it's like, people think like, oh, you know, they're darker, you know, you'll get insulted by that because they're illegal, because they're darker than you, because they're less than you. So just like that thing, like, it also plays a part in our community because now it's just like, oh, well, I don't want to be like that, you know what I mean? Like, don't call me that, like, or I'll take offense to that, but I mean, like, I personally don't, but, you know, just, that way of like separating us as a community, you know, it's pretty heartbreaking. I think it's just a lot of ignorance. Um, mm -hmm. People just don't, I mean, I'm not saying that they need to understand the history of every Latin country, but you know, if you do study the history, you know, we are everything. We, and, and you know, it's people just labeling us as Mexican or just like, they just have no idea of where we come from and what we represent and how we have combined and cultivated so many cultures to make this great one. And people just classify it as Mexican and it's like, but you don't even know what I have to offer you, you know? You don't, you're just throwing me to the side before you even have a chance to understand, you know, what, who I am. And it's just, just by looking at somebody and seeing they're a little darker, seeing that they have, that they um, have curly hair or something, it's just, it's interesting. It's interesting for me to see, and I accept it because if I'm hurt by everything that has happened to me, I would never get anything done. I would never be successful if I sit, sat here and dwelt on it. And so you just kind of have to continue through your day and just say, "All right, you don't know it, but someone else is interested, and someone else wants to know." And that's kind of how you make change. You have to not be offended by it. I like to say, saying like, "I'm like butter, so everything just melts off." 
Because then that way, like, if something negatively affects me, what I think is to do something other to change that. Maybe I couldn't reach this person, but I can reach other people. And then as a whole, that'll have a bigger impact than just that one person that doesn't understand at the moment. You're dealing with a country that thinks that Africa is a country. Okay, and so I think to ask them to delineate between the South American countries and cultures is asking a lot yeah. of, of that level of understanding. So how, how do you educate that the Latin American community is large, it's diverse? You have to educate, because I know in high school I only learned about American history. I didn't learn about any other history. Now when I came here, or like I had to do my own research to learn, to learn even about my own country, because I was born in the Dominican Republic, but I was raised here. So you're not taught any other history, any other side of history. You're only taught what they want you to see. So it's just they have you in this bubble and have created this blind eye. So of course the majority of the country is ignorant if they're not educated and they don't know any better. I feel like a good idea for that is like festivals. I don't know. Like I feel like we all like to have fun. We all like festivals. I think if we had a festival, maybe like this is just an idea I have. Okay. Um, maybe like a, a Hispanic festival, you know, you have every, 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 every Latin American country to be there and each one has a stand and represents its own self. That, that's something, because I feel, who doesn't like festivals? I feel like everyone enjoys that. But um, something that I want to say about um, colorism, I feel like just in general, like all around the world, I feel if you're light-skinned, you're treated better. Even in ours, even in ours. I, like, we call them güeritos, right? Güeritos or güeritas, like, light skins. My cousin, she's, she's, she's light-skinned. She's younger than me. But our family, we, we, we admire her, not gonna lie. You know, her hair, her, her eye color, everything, you know? And sometimes it makes you think, and you look at your own self and your own skin, and then you start depicting little things about yourself. Like, oh, what if I was lighter skin? Will people treat me, you know? And sometimes I even see it here, let's be honest, if I, if I can say it here in our campus. Sometimes even people that come from Russia or from Spain and they're light skin, they treat them better than even the ones that were from here. I was born here, and I can see how, just because they're light skin, they, they get treated better than I do. The, you can say, Caucasian people interact with them more. They respect them more, even if they're somewhere, like, from somewhere else. And I'm like, wow, like, I was born here. This is my home. To me, this is my home. And to see that people here, not just on campus, but in the whole world, like, I consider this my home, but they don't consider me. You have to be a member of their family. So then I think it's like a slap in the face, even in this university. And I noticed that I was I, I was speechless. Like I just was like, wow, so much colorism. It's important, you know. Like you do look at the skin, and even Caucasian people, even Americans. Yes, I can tell you that. Maybe I was born here, but you're still gonna treat the girl 
from Spain or the girl from Germany or wherever they're, they're from because of their skin better than me, that I'm supposed to be like your sister. Michelle, we went to India, Matsuro, um, and we experienced something very, very unusual, which was very disturbing to all of us. Um, the Indian people would surround us all the time, asking us for pictures. Family members, like we were the Kardashians, and they're coming out <laughs> and taking pictures. It was really weird. Yeah, no, seriously, we were the Kardashians. But, but the people who weren't being asked pictures, Jim, Jim, John, who's us, Mexican American, um, they weren't interested. And we were really very disturbed by that, and we discussed that constantly. And I think what we came up with, just to throw this out, is the propaganda of white being better that's put out there. If you look at to Bollywood, those actors and actresses look nothing like the people we saw. You know, the very few people look like any of those people. They look white, basically. They look like dark-skinned Indians, which is the majority, because they have been propagandized that white is good and dark is bad. And uh, it's not only here. You know, it's, it's around the world, and it really hurts me to hear you sitting there, lovely young lady, saying, I don't, I wish my hair was different, my eyes were different, because you've been subject to the propaganda of, of this. And it, it really is sad, and it, it's worldwide. It was very distressing. Adding on to that, actually, the people who weren't getting asked to take photos, which was me, Jorge, and Jonathan, mind you, we're all not, you know, we have some tone, like darker skin color. They would approach us and speak in their local language, thinking that we understood them, but we didn't. Which is, at the moment, was funny. I was like, ah, sorry, I don't know. But then I started thinking, like, why, why are you coming to me, talking your local language when I'm clearly with a group of, uh, it was a group of 18, 17 of us Americans, and we stood out like. Like, we stood out. <laughs> we were not in the right clothing. We were not, we I mean, clearly some of us had different skin. And it was just, it was, in the moment, I didn't, I didn't think anything, because I did get asked to take one or two photos. And then I realized that they would ask the group of us, but when they came to take a photo of us, they would stand next to a blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl, or a, a, uh, a red-headed, you know, freckled girl. Um, and I, and actually John came to me, uh, one night and he was like, hey, do you realize that nobody really asked to take photos and that's when we clicked. That's when we was like, wow, it matters. The color of your skin matters. Um, what's going on to the whole colorism thing as well. I, uh, I have a friend who attends, uh, College of the Holy Cross up in Worcester, Massachusetts and her roommate is Colombian, Argentine, Argentina, whatever, Argentina. Um, and she, she's like, she's light skinned, she's blue eyes, very pretty hair, whatever. Um, and she hung out with a lot of white people, a lot of Caucasian people. A couple months into freshman year, her roommate, my friend, found out that she hid the fact that she was Hispanic from those people, and those people thought she was white, and she didn't want to tell them 
she and she confessed to Tara Rooney. She didn't want to tell them because she thought she would be discriminated against by her for her stupidness. That is the single most saddest thing I have ever heard. The fact that you are scared to present your identity to your group of friends. I have a similar experience to that because, like, usually people see me and they don't know I'm Puerto Rican until I tell them. And when I tell them, all of them always say, you don't look Puerto Rican. Right. And I'm like, so the way I look defines if I'm Puerto Rican or not. And then I'm like, I'm like really proud of like, being Puerto Rican. <laughs> so like being told that I don't look Puerto Rican makes me feel like, like, I don't, like am I not Puerto Rican to you enough? Like, so it's like kind of annoying for people to like, see you and be like, you don't look Puerto Rican. You don't have an accent. And I'm like, but I'm still Puerto Rican. I live there. Like, I go back and forth from school. So like I'm like the most Puerto Rican I can be, and like for someone to tell me like I don't look it is like it annoys me because like it's frustrating for them to like basically question like my identity like just because I, have I don't the same look issue. it. Like when I tell people I'm Italian, they're like, no way, like you look so Puerto Rican, I don't believe it, like just completely dismissing it. And it's like I grew up in a house with my Italian mother my whole life. That is a significant part of who I am in my culture. And one, there's a lot of overlap too. So it's like oh, just because I look Puerto Rican, that's the only identity I can have. I can only be Hispanic. And, like, while I'm Puerto Rican and proud, as you all know, <laughs> um, you know, I don't want to just be subjected to this little group just because of how I look. And it's like that same, that same idea that you just kind of, oh, you're Puerto Rican or you're Colombian or you're this, and you're just kind of smushed into that group, and that's it. And you're supposed to act Colombian and do this and be Colombian or be Mexican, it's like, uh, but I'm American and I'm a college student and I'm all these other things and I'm not just this. Um, and just by one look, people look at your skin, look at your hair, look at your face and they have all these generalizations about you and what you're going to do and how you're going to succeed in life and it's like, yeah, please like, stop. If I could <laughs> add something to that, like, um, sometimes it's even hard because, like, being born here, like, it's so, so funny, because being born here, like, my parents, they're, like, really Mexican, they, you know, put those Mexican values in me, the traditions, everything, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty Mexican, but, like, it's so funny, because when I go to Mexico, mm -hmm. like, they think you're snobby, because you're from the United States, you have money, you're this and that, but then when you come back home, you, you're seeing, like, nothing. And then sometimes, even like, still like, sometimes I feel like to my Mexican peers or my Mexican family, I'm too white because of how I speak or just because I don't use some terms or street talk, you could say. But then when I'm with my white peers, they think, oh, she's so Mexican. <laughs> so, so like... There was a point in my life where I was like, I didn't like to define myself as Mexican or American. I would just say, I'm a chef and just get to know me. But I, I don't know, it's still hard to this day because I don't like, I, I, I don't want to be a stereotype, you know? I don't want to be the, like to people, like Mexican women and stuff, your scenes, like even in movies in Hollywood, let, let's go. They take roles as the maid or 
as a, a, a seen as sexual, very sexy Latinas, curvy, and Latinas are like that's what they are, curvy. And I'm like, girl, I'm, I'm like a stick, but I'm, I'm, I'm still Latina, you know? Like I did not have like you know, like let's be honest, and I I feel like people need to start to realize there's everything, you know, you. There's just everything. We're just a mixture. We're we're a melting pot, you know. In the United States, we are a melting pot. And I'm gonna cut you off because we have to move on. But before we do, <laughs> yeah. um, before we do, I just wanted to bring up a point we had brought up in the meeting was that you know, I personally feel and other people had agreed that when they're in their professional field, they feel they have to censor themselves or you know speak like I speak loud. Everyone tells me, oh, stop, you're talking so loud. And I feel like it's something I have to think about all the time or like certain uh, slang words I use and stuff like that that just roll off my tongue because I'm used to it. I feel like I have to censor now. And while there is definitely a level of professionalism we need to have, I feel like we kind of have to go further, go a step further, think about what we're going to say further, how we're going to do our hair a step further. Um, so just it's something that definitely needs to change for sure. But moving on. <laughs> um, so Trump's actions over his short political career has significantly targeted, targeted the Mexican-American community and continue to influence people's opinions on immigration. Despite Trump and the media, despite Donald Trump and the media um, publicly targeting the Mexican community, other Hispanic communities have also become a target despite not being a part of that community. Why do you think this is, or what justifies such a generalization? I just want to make a comment before we talk about it, and it's like the same way we call Asians Asians. Like they're you know Chinese, Japanese. Like it's just a way to I think for people ignorantly to like think simpler and be like oh yeah this is one group and this is one other group and this is black this is Latino this is Asian this is us you know like it's kind of I don't know I don't know what's going to happen. Oh sorry. Um, my name is Sierra. I'm a second year law society major. Um, I work with the activism group for immigrants' rights in Bridgeport, that's like 20 minutes from here. And on the, actually the day of Trump's inauguration, we, I went with a group of the English language learners that I work with, their parents, and we went to protest, and we were peacefully protesting. Um, and I think before I had that mentality of like being kind, I guess, like trying to step back and be like, I want to see your worldview before I like respond, you know, angrily or something like that. But that day, like being surrounded by so many supporters and seeing them feel so empowered in their opinions and the consequences of them, um, it was just really scary because the group of people I was with were being targeted all day, and we were the people being arrested, and we were the people having so bombs. And it just like made it even more real for me. And then you know, you go, I go back to the school to work with the kids, and they're being called names every single day. Just and what you're saying about um, education, about South American country, I think that's really important because obviously everyone deserves to be understood, and the only way you can respect someone is if you understand where they're coming from. And we used to do a lot of education programs at that middle school, and we got. I can't let this discussion go with one saying one thing. It's gotten so bad. We are taking children away from their parents. Okay? I can't handle that. 
I just think three and four year olds are taking away from their parents. And Steve Ducey, or Ducey, whatever his name is, on Fox and Friends, who's Trump's advisor basically in the morning, stated, well, they're not our kids. Okay? And I really just pose to you if those were Canadians or Swedes being separated, three year olds, um, I think that there'd be people in the streets. But yet, we had a couple of days of people saying, now we forgot about it. 1,500 kids are still not brought together with their families. And we just swept that under the rug because they're not our kids. And I think that really says a lot. Uh, I just couldn't let it go with that because it's really bothering. Um, I think that basically goes into the next question, um, talking about the policies of ICE and DACA. Um, but before I go into that, I I think the media has, and we kind of keep going back to it, but it's, it's, it's changed our thought process about these situations. The videos about family reunions, I saw one where the son didn't even recognize his mother. And um, in some situations where the children had gotten very sick in these facilities and now they're on close to their deathbeds and, you know, people, like you said, or like you said, it's not, it's not my child, it's not our children, but like they're just so concerned with concerned with moving themselves up the ladder, like you said, that it doesn't matter that these people are going through this thing because it's not their children. Um, so, how have the Latino uh, communities responded to the policies of ICE and DACA, and how have the communities changed since the emergence of these strict rules, regulations, and abuse of power? I feel like people are actually like. Latinos, we're coming together, and like general, like we're just coming together. And I feel like, how can I say this? Like we try to protect one another. If that makes sense, you know. And I know someone was talking about um, when, we were, when we were talking about the questions about how if you do hear that like ISIS man. You post it, yeah, like you post it on social media. And I remember seeing some of my friends like posting it all over and then sometimes they would post it on Facebook so their aunts could know. Or like mom like I remember my mom calling like my aunt, like, Oh, like he doesn't answer, like our cousin and he's undocumented, he doesn't answer, like, can you please check if he's at home and this and that? So like that is also something powerful that I feel like, you know, social media is also helping us in a way. Because um, you can communicate, like, if ICE is near, and you can try to protect them and stuff. I have to disagree with that, because when you look at the whole in, the whole picture, they're uniting us by scaring us. And I don't think that's the right way of go, going about it in any way, shape, or form. Because like you said, oh, he, does, he didn't get home. You're scared that he was arrested, and now he's in the hands of ICE. So it's through fear that they are uniting us, and I to get their purpose. Okay. Exactly, it's it's not it's it's just not I. I'm sorry. But the question is, how do we go against it? How do we but how do we beat the system that they have put in place? That's the question. Vote. Vote. Say it one more time. Make vote. sure and vote. You folks, your generation did not vote last time. And that's white, black, of course, you Latino. 
you want to change things, this, this election is the most important election in your life so far. So you want to make change. You get your friends out, you get your family out, you get your friends, friends out, and you make sure they vote. If you're not registered, make sure everyone's registered this election. But then there's also like, you hear all these stories about ICE like and their abuse of power, how they would uh, just charge into people's homes without any permission. They would take people that they weren't looking for. Uh, they take uh, people that are documented because you would hear stories about how they would only take people that had criminal records behind. And then a few weeks later, you'd also hear stories about how a mom was taken from her family even though she, she had no criminal record. And it just like strikes fear into everybody's homes. Uh, like my family, we wouldn't go anywhere. We wouldn't be able to do anything. Uh, she'd always pay attention to her phone. Make sure like she wouldn't get on the roads. Um, she'd always like they were telling people like on the news because I'm from North Carolina. They told us on like the radio like make sure you have your children's ID with you. Have anything, any memorabilia. So like if you do come upon ice, you like ask say like hey I have children. Please don't take me away. I have to take care of them. They're documented. I might not be, but they are. I who's gonna take care of them? But like their abuse of power, like you really can't do anything about it. And then they're like taking people to prisons, they're putting kids in cages, you hear all these stories, and then nothing's changing. Um, like another thing that I feel that we could change is like whoever's doing law, like pre law or something, try to become a senator, try to, you know, because also, yeah, we can say this and that, but we also need to represent each other in 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 the I don't know, this just gets me like so like we don't have so much representation. If you look at it, it's basically Caucasians. We need also like we can't just we can't just wait on other people to go. If we like if you are really passionate about this, go for law. Fight it out. Yeah. Run. Run like like run for for a position, you know, um, even here in Pennsylvania. You know, even little positions. And if you don't win the first time, it's fine. You put yourself out there. The second time, maybe you are the winner, you know? And also another thing, that, yeah, like you said, voting. Because, like, me, I just turned 18, so I can vote now. But, like, I know my mom. She became a U.S. citizen when I was in seventh grade. That I know she has never voted. Because she thinks, because she thinks that her vote doesn't matter. You know, she thinks, yes, I know, Michelle, it's me. One vote cannot change. But, like, sometimes just even to our parents, you know, we need to, like, change their mind that their vote does count, that maybe one vote can make a difference. She doesn't believe me, though. But, like, I'm still, like, I try to push her, you know. And sometimes even parents don't do that because they have to work or they have other obligations. But I kind of can understand if, if your parent can't, like, can't because they can't call off work. Because if, if they call off work, they'll fire you. Get an absentee ballot. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, if, if that's the situation, the parents work, get an absentee ballot. Yeah. I'm telling you, everything's on the line mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. You're saying about like voting because you don't think it will change anything? No, my mom, no, she but, doesn't. Yeah. No, but like, um, I'm like, I don't live in the U.S., mm -hmm. so I don't get to vote. But like, and like, people in Puerto Rico the same way. But like, everything that happens here affects us. Mm -hmm. And like, the decisions that happen here affects affects us. So I tell people like, if you don't want to vote because you don't like think it'll change anything or like you don't really care about like you either way you're fine with how it is. I tell them like, well, then vote for people who want to vote me and like can't. But like you're do it for them then. Like, make them like if you don't care who is like at least care for their decision. 
It's like, like I don't like when people say like they won't vote because they don't care. Like other people want to vote and they can't, and like the decisions that are happening here affect them. Like if you can have like a little bit like one thing to like change that, like, like I think it's really important. Yeah. It's worth it. I, yeah. I feel like just pushing, like, even if you know, like, just push, you know, like, like push, like, because, like, with my mother, I tried to push her, but she's like, it's only my go. I don't think it'll make, like, you know, a difference, but I tried to push her, you know. I just want to say one last thing. You said um, that if we're so passionate to go into law society, go be a senator. Well, no, not like everyone, but I'm saying, like, like, the people that are doing it, like, put themselves out because no, I know that we're all different, right, right. you know. I just think, I think, um, and I think we, a lot of us other than your law society can relate to the fact that we're all studying different things, but at this, at least, this is individually, and like my individual self, I, I'm studying engineering. I want to be an engineer. That is my goal. I want to, you know, do research. I want to do this. I want to do that. But at the same time, being here in college and educating myself and being put in this environment, this country, it puts another another weight on my shoulder to think I have to, yes, I have to do what I want to do because it's for me, but at the same time, I also have to fight for my community. And, it, it, and because we're being the targets now, it's that much heavier, much heavier of a weight. The fact that I have to focus and do whatever I can to propel myself, but I also have to propel, propel my peers by standing up to them. By I just joined SGA because I I care about the voice of the students. Like it's little steps like that that I guess I benefited from this whole era that we're in because I'm pushing myself to do more. But it's it's I mean it's not. Like it's not—it's not easy. It's—it's it's harder. It's—it's—it's it's, it's something that not everyone, the less people than you think, understands. Yes, it's, um, if I could sorry. Say no, I just want to get into. We wanted to talk about Hurricane Maria. We can definitely bounce back though. Um, as you guys know, in September of 2017, Category Five hurricane hit the island of Puerto Rico. The recovery efforts um, have not. Um, been very successful. It's still a year, and there's um, a larger death toll. Uh, many people, including people I know, and I'm sure you have family and friends, um, who are still kind of paying $10 for bread, walking miles to get water, and yes, there might have been some electric um, that has been restored on the island. There are still people living with um, minimal um, food, water, access to just resources that we take for granted on a regular basis. Um, do you think that there is a relationship between money, supplies, and prejudice toward Puerto Ricans? And how has Trump's actions influenced the dynamic between Puerto Ricans and other American citizens? So I read like a tweet that Trump posted recently that said something along the lines that Puerto Ricans were like unappreciative of the help the U.S. gave to Puerto Rico, and. I, like he was probably referring to himself and like the more like the government and it annoys me because I know a lot of people like all over the US were helping Puerto Rico like so many people like I saw firsthand like all the food that got sent to like in like these giant like packages that we had to like distribute all over the island so it was kind of upsetting to see like 
he was like making the rift even bigger by saying that we didn't care about the U.S.'s help towards Puerto Rico, when in reality we did like it was like very much appreciated that all like the U.S. came to like help us basically because we had to bring in like um, workers from outside companies to fix the electrical grid all over the island because the people in Puerto Rico weren't enough and it wasn't gonna get done and like even when we got help from outside, it took months. So. I feel like when Trump says these kind of things, he makes it harder for like the general public to like understand us and like not feel like we're just a burden and for the Puerto Ricans to feel thankful of the thing that people in the US have done. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Um, I have family that lives out there and um, I have family that lives like in the city area and family that's in the mountains and as you guys know, it's, it's two completely different experiences. Um, and just speaking with my family, like my family does not like Trump. Like they don't like Trump, but they went to any type of anything that the government was going to support for Puerto Rico because at the end of the day, that's where we're from, it's where we're rooted in and our people need help. You, saw, you all saw the video of him throwing paper towels. Did you oh, see yeah. how people, I don't know if you were looking at the audience, but they didn't care. They just wanted to survive. And this has become propaganda. It's become something that we talk about, that people say that these people are not worthy for something that they couldn't control. And it's just based off the rhetoric of one man and of one person that has tweeted things, that has made videos, that has under, I don't want to say underestimated, but he's gone out of his way to say that this is, it's not as significant as other storms, it's not as significant as, as other problems that are going on. You know, he tweeted not too long ago that something about the death toll, that it was a lie. And I'm sure maybe there was prob probably an error somewhere, you know, but the significance of it is the point that he, that he is missing and that many people are missing. You know, the significance of him saying that those 3,000 lives are really not worth much because they're not contributing to the economy as well as other states, or that they're not as valuable for the color of their skin or whatever his prejudices are. Like, it's just disgusting because it's kind of rubbing off and it's allowing prejudice, prejudice groups and communities to come out and be more verbal about what they're saying and be more verbal about how they feel, and all it's doing is just hurting this island more and more and more, hurting my family and my people. And I really believe in the saying that you don't you don't understand it until you experience it. But that doesn't mean that you can't have sympathy and that you can't be willing to help somebody. You know, when when everything happened with Puerto Rico, and as you know, in Puerto Rico, it influences my life significantly. You really don't realize how much. It hurts until it's your family, until it's, you know, where you feel you can't do anything and the people you love are suffering them. And it's like other people just are like, whatever. And it's not significant. Um, last question. How has stereotypes and cultural tension influenced your Latino identity on an individual level here at Jefferson, in your community, in hometown, and in, in the country? And I just feel like ever since this whole Trump thing started, like, Latinos have had to, like, prove themselves. And now we have to prove ourselves. And now, 
everyone wants, well, we should, but everyone like going to school, like now when you go to school, it's just like a big pressure to like be professional. Doesn't matter what you do, to be professional and to like validate that you belong here because you contribute to your society. You know what I mean? So that's just like a big thing I feel like for students, just like as first generation, like, you know, like we just, now we have to show up because if we don't, like, it's just not, you know, it's not going to happen at all. Because now, you know, the face of our country, you know, Trump is the face of our country. He's supposed to be representing America, you know? And so now it's just like, because he's not on our side, like, now we have to do it for ourselves. Yeah, and like, if I can say something to that, like, yesterday, when I received my paper for chemistry, and I want to be in pre-med, and I got an F, I felt so, like, I felt so ashamed. I felt like, I cried for one hour in the bathroom, like rethinking, am I really supposed to be here, you know? And you get pressure from, your parents, because you know how hard they work, you know? Like, my parents, they're not lawyers. They can't be throwing a thousand dollars away just like that, you know? And then you have the pressure of your community that you don't want to let them down because you want to make them proud and you want to be someone in life. You just, you want to show them, okay, I can be in a higher position and you have your brothers and when you're first generation, it's so hard. And sometimes even in like school, like just think about it, high school, I wanted to take AP courses, but they didn't think I was qualified enough. And and then it, now it affected me. Like I was like, if I would have, if I would have pushed myself even more harder, and I should have fought for it, maybe right now I wouldn't be struggling in biology and in chemistry. I would be in the same level as other students. And then. You start, like, little things that people say, like, okay, that Hispanics are not as intelligent and this and stuff. Like, it starts coming in your head, and you start believing it, and then you kind of feel like you want to give up and, like, little things. But then when you, like, when there's, like, people around you, and then when you, like, sometimes you just have to look, and sometimes you just want someone to help you, then you even get scared to ask your professor for help because you feel... If I ask a professor, they're going to be like, she's not smart enough. Or even in class, sometimes if you raise your hand, you get scared because you think they're going to judge you. Or they're going to be like, this Latina doesn't know. Oh, wow, she wasn't educated. But then I think I think so much back. I think when I was in second grade, my parents could not help me. They, they, they only had elementary education. They couldn't help me. So I've always been behind. And then... The dyslexia on top of that so it's like so much barriers that you have to prove you have to prove and then you get scared if, if you're not if, if you don't do good in school you're a failure you you've been another stereotype of laziness that you probably didn't work so hard and then you get so much question and it's like pressure of back home like your parents believe in and your family believe in you but then it's also what you are, your race, being Mexican, that plays a big role too. So it's so difficult, it's, I, I don't know, I'm being here now that it's Jefferson, it's Jefferson and then I think, I understand why many people drop out. 
why many Mexicans drop out because it's hard. It's super hard. It, Michelle, well, listen. First of all, we would love to have you on society. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be a superstar. So if you're ever questioning the meta thing, we want you there. Okay. So just so know that you're very much wanted. Very impressed. Uh, and the other thing I just want to say is that there are people here to help you. People here want you to succeed. There are, and I know the professors here. And if you want to talk to me individually, I can help you with that. But there are people here who want to help you. And I know there are people who, those feelings you have a right. There are people who believe the other way. But there are people here on your side. So um, we'll talk about that afterwards. But I know what I'm talking because I know these people. Mm -hmm. I really do. Don't most be afraid of them to ask for help. Like, I, I go to writing too, right? Because, like, just the level that everyone else starts at, I'm not at that level. Like, the education I received isn't the same education majority of people that come to school here, like, received before. Like, I start so many steps back, and it takes me so much more work to get to where they are, just, like, the basics that they think is easy. And it, I have to go to tutoring, like, three times a week just to get to that level. And nobody sees that hard work. Nobody sees that determination. They just see the stereotypes that are portrayed. And that's the thing that creates such like a stigma and like this guilt and this pressure from like your parents and everyone else. And as a community, you want to represent them in a better light because it's so malrepresented. One yeah. super important, um, I just want to say that because I'm just, that's exactly where I was last year. Like I was so stuck in my major because I felt like, like I didn't belong in my grades before. And I just like, I just felt like I didn't belong here. Like I felt like maybe like this isn't for me. And it was hard for me because my sister, like she's very successful in that age. You know what I mean? Like Twitter. So um, it was really hard for me to put myself to her, but I had to realize that maybe that just wasn't my calling. And I found, you know, my advisor was very helpful, and she's the one who told me to go to my study. And I'm so happy. Like I have to tell you, like I was struggling in bio, and I'm so happy where I am right now because. I feel like I'm learning about things that really, you know, relate to things that matter to me. And I just feel like that's that's going to be my path to, like, you know, representing my people and doing this right. Because I was exactly where you were last year. I really was. And I was really struggling. I really was. So just so you know, you know you're not alone. Because my advisor, she was so great. She really, she really took her time and she met with me. And she was like, you know, you belong here. She really validated that. And just goes back to that point where we always feel like we have to validate ourselves, you know, but we belong here. We really do. I just believe in those lining that I want to bring up is that we are here. We are here. And we are here to stay. Like, it is hard. Like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's not hard, but us doing this, us putting the effort in our classes, in our jobs and lasso coming here today like we're paving the path for our future students for our children for our future and it's it's hard and there's a lot of backlash and there's a lot of pushback but we're here and we're doing it like be proud be proud of who you are and what you're doing and represent your country and just be proud because we are setting the stage for generations to come and for people to come and for people to be welcomed and feel welcomed in the school. I think that is the perfect way to end this round table. Yeah. And I really back up that 
one million percent beautifully said. Thank you very much all for coming, and uh, we'll be talking about this several occasions more in the future. Thank you very much.